Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back. In our first half hour, we heard from a doctor who says high sugar diets and high intake of fructose in particular are emerging as a leading cause of Alzheimer's disease. If you missed that segment, well, I encourage you to visit the Health Call website and take a look at the video version to find out why he thinks cutting back on sugar cuts your risk. But if it's too late for someone you love and they're already on their dementia journey, your entire family is going to be affected. So let's talk to someone who specializes in understanding the care of Alzheimer's patients. Tipa Snow is a dementia care specialist who founded what's called the Positive Approach to Care. She wants you to know there are over 100 different types of dementia And the first step to understanding what's ahead for your loved one is understanding that each form of dementia is unique. One of the biggest mistakes we make is thinking it's about memory problems, um, when in fact it's about brain changes that will ultimately change everything about you as a human being and how you appear and how you act and how you react and what you know and how you know it. It's going to change things in so many ways. And we think about it as a memory issue problem and tiny tip of the iceberg. Uh, That's good to know. So Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, but not all dementia is Alzheimer's. So explain that to me and what that means as it applies to my family members. Yeah, and so what we want to think about is a great big umbrella. And the umbrella is the syndrome. In other words, that's what dementia is. It's a collection of symptoms that fit under this umbrella. And we know that there are basically four things that are going to be true if if you indeed have a dementia. Number one, at least two parts of your brain are starting to actively die. That's an important thing to know. So it's not just damage, it's active death to those parts. The second is that it's progressive. So once it starts, we don't currently have a way to turn off a dementia. And the third thing is that we don't have cures for it. We don't have a way to cure it or fix it or make it stop or make it turn around. And we also don't have ways to prevent it from happening. We have risk reduction, but not prevention. And fourth is that it is a terminal illness. You, you mentioned that it's on up there. Estimates are for people over the age of 65, it's right on up there like the fourth leading cause of death over the age of 65. If we count everybody, it's a little bit lower, but if we count the older group. So now under that umbrella, we have different forms like Alzheimer's, frontal temporal. Um, we will have Lewy body, vascular, and a whole bunch of others. Yeah, we'll talk about some of those in just a second. How is it that Alzheimer's and dementia kills me? How does it take my life? Well, what happens is it destroys so much of your brain tissue that your brain can't run you anymore because your brain runs everything. And so eventually it will get into the systems that allow you to control how you breathe, how you swallow, how you digest your food, whether or not you can move, whether or not you have any desire to keep going. And so it can affect people in so many ways, but ultimately it gets to a place where it has destroyed approximately two thirds of your brain tissue. And when that happens, you just can't keep going anymore. 
it, it, it's just not enough to keep you so going. The autonomic systems, the the breathing, and all those things just fail. They could, or you could not be good at it, and you end up with a pneumonia. You could not be good at um, what we call our, you know, our sustaining systems, and so you end up with infections that become septic. They get into the bloodstream. Or it could be that the muscles in your body just atrophy and you can't move. And so you end up with pressure areas. So it's not it's not a comfortable or easy way to lose life. And honestly, not everyone goes all the way to the end of their dementia before something else or some complication might. And hip fractures or fractures are a big piece of the puzzle. So falls are always that. Yeah. Yeah, all the risks that come along with advanced age. I get that. Um, you know, we're we're in the news these days with Bruce Willis and his frontotemporal dementia. So what is that and how is that different from Alzheimer's? Yeah, so with Alzheimer's, classically, the first symptoms appear deep in the brain in the hippocampal area. Learn and remember, find your way and keep up with time. And then it spreads in your brain, vision center, thinking center, language center. But with FTD, Bruce Willis's type particularly, it actually started in the left temporal lobe with language. Can't find words, can't, can't understand words, have difficulty with meaning of words. And so the language center was deteriorating. And that's when he had to step back from acting because you have to learn scripts and use words and it wasn't happening. And for about 25% of people who get primary progressive aphasia, it wipes out that center and it stops. It's not progressive past that. But for other people, it progresses. And 75% of folks start having problems in the front of your brain, which is called the executive control center. So it's the part of your brain that allows your brain to make choices that are consistent with your values. It allows you to think things through logically. It allows you to control impulses in what you do or say or look at or, or touch. It, uh, it allows you to consider your alternatives and pick one that, that matches you. It allows you to get started on something, do it correctly, finish it off, and then move on and go do something else. It also allows you to look at yourself and know whether you have skills to do it or you need help. And it allows you to see other people's points of view. Got it. So with all those things missing, boy, yeah, life has really taken a turn. So understanding what type of dementia I have is important. How does that affect the care that I receive or I should be looking for? Yeah, so what we're going to need is some special skills for FTD because you're losing communication, but you're also losing sequencing and initiation and your personality is going to change. So how do I go about getting that diagnosis? Because I got to tell you, I have been through a couple, I've been in the room when neurologists have conducted the screening and you typically get the five word memory test. I'm going to give you five words. And then a few minutes later, re recite them to me. They move, they manipulate hands on a clock and, you know, it's all, it's, it's pretty rudimentary. It is. And unfortunately for people with FTD, Lewy body, even Alzheimer's, if I'm smart, I can do that long into my condition. And it's one of the biggest mistakes we have is we don't have good baseline measures. Um, so what classically is going to help in this case is the report from the person about what they're doing and how they're doing it in these areas. And then a report in a private space of a family member or friend who says, 
I'm noticing some impulsive behaviors, like they're driving the car really fast, or they can't seem to get going, or they've gotten really obsessed about. I mean, she's saying things I would, I've never heard her say. She's being rude to people. She's never been like, she won't go anywhere. I can't, she's not even getting dressed. I mean, she, you know, so you're, and so these things with frontal temporal, particularly, it's often how I'm not how I've been. And that's important to notice, but we've got to have a provider who's curious too. And that gets a little, that's hard sometimes when you're a family member or you're the person even saying, I'm having problems because sometimes people do notice. I can't, I can't hold on to words. And of course that is frightening for the patient to realize most Alzheimer's patients do become aware they're slipping and that leads to anxiety and depression. Families typically are involved in care at first, but over time, they recognize the need for full-time care in a supervised setting. That's why memory care centers are popping up all over the country. How do you find one that's right for your situation? Should you try to match their skills to the specific dementia diagnosis? And how does Tipa Snow suggest dealing with your Alzheimer's patient when difficult situations arise? And believe me, they will. That's where we go next as we continue with dementia care specialist Tipa Snow here on the Health Call Radio Hour. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Thanks for staying with us and our conversation with dementia care specialist, Tipa Snow. Her life's work is helping caregivers understand Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Part of her work involves training memory care staff members on meeting the special needs of people on an irreversible path of mental decline. These memory care centers are popping up everywhere to care for the growing number of dementia patients, and a big wave is yet to come. Choosing the right one isn't easy for any family, so I asked Tipa for her advice and what to be looking for. Do they have the training and education to provide them with this skill that we know we need, or do they just say, we're a special care center? And it's like, show me what you're doing that prepares your employees and your staff to provide the special support. And they should be able to show and tell you what it is they're doing with people coming in to work there that prepares them to do the special care. Because without it, frankly, they're no better than any other place. And it's really important to know the location and who's there and what their knowledge and skill set is. Yeah, so we don't want to be just warehousing people. That's that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people with skills and abilities to, for example, communicate and help me communicate more effectively. So they should be training me as a family member and caregiver, right? They should, and they should invite you in. We're looking for places that are recognizing families don't want to run. They want support, and they've gotten to a place where I don't think I can do this 24-7, but I do want to still be part of my person's life. And here's how I really would like to be part. And for some families, it's I'd like to go back to being her daughter or the, her husband, his husband, her husband, or I would like to go back to a place where I'm not trying to do it all. 
Or for other families, I'd like to come in and have something to do with my person that makes sense because filling the day is also something. It's more than just caring for a body or a human. It's how, do my, how does my life look for me and my family now that I'm here? And people should be able to describe how they're going to engage and how the person is engaged in, in doing it. So share some ideas with me. If I'm caring for a dementia uh, patient at home, I almost said victim because, you know, frankly, that, well, it's kind of how I feel about it, though. I'm, I'm terrified of this, frankly. Um, yeah, I get that. But it's really, if we victimize people, then they don't have power. And I want people to feel somewhat empowered to live life, even with a dementia, because the way you are today, you may start missing pieces, but you're still yourself, Lee, tomorrow. So it's like, how can I give Lee a sense of value and purpose? Oh, let's walk down that path. If I'm having trouble communicating, if yesterday just blends into today with no real differentiation, how do I achieve that that sense of worth and being? So this is the tricky part, is I've got to work with what you still have, not lament what you don't. And so it will be some whole new learning for us. I've got to learn how to use props, and I've got to learn how to use gestures, and I've got to learn to give Lee a lead in, oh, hey, Lee. Because whenever you do that, the person goes, yeah, almost invariably. It's an automatic sort of call and respond. And so the better I get at that, oh, I have a favor to ask of you. Now, when I say I have a favor, doesn't that empower you? Yes, it, it, calls, it calls to my spirit to, help, to step up and help. I get that, yes. If, if I'm dealing with somebody who is um, obstinate, or irascible, you know, I, I understand that's one of the common changes here is people kind of can turn nasty. What do I do about this? Oh, you're not liking anything about this. Nothing. Wow. So validate that behavior. Validate their Validate, validate it and say, hmm, tell you what, let's get out of here for a little bit. And then what does that mean? Am I, I can't. Well, that means we're taking a break from what we're doing right now. Because if somebody's giving me a pushback and I keep trying to push what I want, all we're going to do is have a stalemate. Okay. So what I opt for is I heard your message. Not right now. Tell you what, let's take a break then. And now all of a sudden we're on a common page. And I need to rethink what I was doing because one of us has to change. And I always want you to change. But in fact, I'm the one that has to change. Yeah, right. Because we're not going to convince the Alzheimer's patient to change. I get that, right? Yeah. So it's all on us. Um, if, if, you know, a common problem, and I've experienced this with, uh, with members of my own family, um, you know, I just, can you take me home? I, I, I want to go home. And they may not know where they are. They may be at home and say, I want to go home. What's going on there? How do I get over that? And what you've just told me is you're not comfortable here. You're not comfortable with me. You're not comfortable with where we are. We're not comfortable with what we're doing. We're not comfortable with the things around us. So I've got to really hear that and say, you want to go home. First thing is a reflection. Yeah. Do you need to do something there? Or you just want to be there. Now I've given you a choice. Right. And I'll listen to what you say. So if you say, well, I have things that have got to get done. Well, now I know you were bored and I wasn't giving you enough to engage you. And so 
you got to you know, do things. Oh, hey, listen, before we go, could you help me with something real quick? Okay, so don't walk down the path of, well, what do you have to do? What's undone? Don't don't get pulled into that. Is that what you're saying? Uh, don't get sucked. Don't get sucked into there because it's like they may not have the words. What I heard was you need something to do. So I'm going to create an opportunity for us to do something which will engage your brain. Tell me something that you've learned about people in this process that is kind of universal and we can all take away. People want to be heard. People want to be believed. People want to be themselves. And when we can figure out how to support that self, no matter how hard it could be at times, turns out we both benefit. It's just a hard transition to let go of what I can't have and celebrate what's possible. Yeah. So how do you how do you respond to that patient who says, I'm just tired of all of this. I want to go. I want to die. Yeah. Why can't I die? How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, you're wondering why you're still here. And you just wish this were all over. Yeah. I, for one, I'm glad you're still here because you still have so much value. I get it. It's really hard. I love that you're here for the moment. And if it turns out you aren't, I understand. But boy, am I glad you're here right now because I'm getting so much out of the time with you. What do you see as the factors that are common in families who have successfully navigated this journey through dementia? What does my family need to have to succeed through all of this and not go after each other, as so many families do when you come to debate over care? Yeah, yeah. The first thing is curiosity and a willingness to listen to each other and then keep the person that we're trying to support and care for front and center. Um, but appreciate that all of us are probably in that moment doing the best we can and be compassionate. You know that problem of family conflict? It's real. Children often don't agree on when it's time for mom to leave home and head to a memory care center or which one is the best fit. You can learn more about managing all those issues by visiting TIPA's website. Just go to tipasnow.com. And of course, I'll have the link in the show notes. Hey, thanks for joining us. I hope we'll see you again next week for the Health Call Radio Hour. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour. Podcasts by Federated Media.